When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Broadcasting live from Florida's capital city, this is the Jeff Cameron Show, brought to you by Orange Theory Fitness on Real Talk 93.3. Now, stop what you're doing and listen closely. It's time for the Jeff Cameron Show in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1... Jeff Cameron Show 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Appreciate you joining us. Glad you're here. Appreciate that very much. It was a fun uh, last hour. Uh, by the way, Joel Damon is the answer, everybody. Joel Damon. The second we went to break, Tom and I were like, oh, Joel Damon, what's wrong with us? Anyhow, I like him. <laughs> He's worth rooting for. Um, back to what we were saying. Last hour, Bryant McFadden joined the program. If you missed that, go find it. Uh, when you're done listening to this hour, it'll be posted in the podcast, Warchant TV, all that good stuff. I'm looking forward to joining forces with Bryant McFadden. I'm glad he's joined us at Warchant. He's going to provide some great insight. His football knowledge is in-depth, obviously, and uh, he's also entertaining, so that that helps. So it'll be fun. It'll be fun. But we need a name for the show, so don't forget, uh, for the show that we're doing tomorrow at 7 o'clock and moving forward uh, with me and Bryant McFadden, feel free to Offer up uh, on the boards at warchant.com or via email, jeff at warchant.com. That'll work. Uh, I loved picking his brain about Dick LeBeau. Tom, I thought it'd be you and me because we had those moments when Jameis had to go against Dick LeBeau when he was with the Titans. And uh, and we were like, oh, man, uh, this is going to suck. And that, that's the Marcus Mariota game, right? Yeah, that was uh, both of their debuts. So everybody was looking at the two quarterbacks in the draft and – you know, who made the right call, the overanalysis, the overreaction. And one is facing a defense that they've seen. Tampa 2 was new when I was a kid. Tampa <laughs> 2 was a revolutionary concept. Uh, I was not a rookie in, in the year 2015. I was uh, I was not a rookie in the NFL. And at that point, I was 29 years old. So, yeah, when I was 13, it was new. Tampa 2, Monty Kiffin, Tony Dungy. What they could do sideline to sideline with the linebackers. If you had yeah, Derek Brooks made that defense, yes. You could drop him into the middle third if you wanted to. Rondé Barber was uh, an all-everything weapon in the slot as well. A lot of fun that you could have, especially with that front four. But kids have been training for that specific defense since the turn of the century. 
Marcus Mariota was ready for what he was going to see against Lovey Smith. And on the other side, it was Dick LeBeau, who is a defensive mastermind, a Hall of Famer, and has made uh, veteran quarterbacks look bad, let alone rookies. And so all he did was engineer a pick six to start Jameis Winston's career, and we weren't sh shocked by it at all. But it was cool to listen to him uh, talk about Dick LeBeau and how Dick LeBeau would sit around at practice and do push-ups in between uh, plays. And he's an old man, and he's out there doing push-ups, which is really, really cool. And uh, we'll have some interesting conversations. I I'm really excited to talk with Bryant about secondary play. I mean, he can talk about the entirety of defensive play and offensive play, obviously. But I, I this is an interesting year for Florida State secondary. They have a chance to get a lot better. And they got a lot of people to throw at the problem. So they've got opportunities to take a big step forward. And I think that's where the real intrigue for Florida State football lies. It's not in the offense that we just got done talking about last hour. The offense is going to be great. Really, even on their bad days, this offense should score close to 30 points or north of 30 points every game. They just have so many weapons and so many ways to beat you. And they have so much depth. So really... Even if you pull starters, you've got guys that are quality coming in. I just see really no way that they get shut down this year all that frequently unless there's just some you know silly errors or inclement weather or whatever it might be. Whereas the defense last year, I was disappointed in. Uh, I know they went on the long stretch where they played really well and the numbers bore that out. But I think we also know that those were bad teams and bad offenses they were facing that they got a lot of stops against. And then when they faced the good teams, and there weren't that many on the schedule last year, but every good team they did face, at least good offensive team, lit their ass up. And they really didn't have an answer for Oklahoma. They didn't have an answer for the University of Florida. Uh, they didn't have an answer for Clemson, certainly through the first three quarters. Um, they didn't have an answer for Wake Forest. Uh, it, 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 you know, in total. I mean, they did for a while. The offense let them down there, but Wake still moved the ball, obviously. Well, And then LSU even. Yeah, the thing I'd say is when Fabian Lovett was fully healthy, it was a very small part of the season. Yeah, it was one game. It was one game. They looked different. When he was close to healthy, they looked pretty good. You're going to have more Fabian Lovett's on this roster. Yes. It's, it's not just a one-man show. You've got a guy who, it, it, it potentially speaking in Daryl Jackson, could even be more impactful than Fabian, but consistency is what we're going to be looking for out of him. Braden Fisk looks the part, moves around like the part. He does. He does. We'll see when, when the green jersey comes off and it's replaced by full contact as we get into fall camp, just exactly how that looks. Josh Farmer looks to be a far improved player, and then some of those younger guys are developing. Uh, Io DeFossi was out there at practice yesterday. Big development there, guys. Big development there. I'm a big Tafasi guy. If you've been listening to this show, you know that. And we've been asked a lot about it. Sorry, Tom, I interrupted you. But just I wanted to note the Tafasi appearance. And that's good news because a lot of people have been asking, where's Tafasi? Where's Tafasi? It was my understanding that he was just dealing with a little aggravation of something. And, you know, they, they want to take it slow. They want to be careful. Uh, but he's out there now. And that's important because he's a. I think he's potentially a really good player. Well, maybe he was there the whole time. I, I just know that our cameras spotted him yesterday, and so therefore everybody uh, gets to see uh, Io Tafasi on yeah. Warchan TV. If you look at that practice footage, we mm -hmm. do a great job. Aslan, fantastic with what he does. Actually, yesterday's footage is really, really cool because it shows you the controlled chaos of practice in a confined area of the IPF in bad weather conditions. 
Aslan puts on a master class of like this is not easy with those cameras zooming in, zooming out, and whipping around across the field. You see offensive drills going the same time as defensive drills. I really encourage you all to check that out on the channel. It's a good look at practice. But 91, that's the number that Tafasi wears now. 91 was on the field ready to go. With that depth, it's going to help everybody look better. Yeah. There's going to be a question about defensive end with Derek McClendon's departure, at least when it comes to the depth of that position. Maybe not the explosiveness of the game-changing ability, but the depth of it. But our running game, and by that I mean our rush defense, was awful when we didn't have our front-line guys out there. There are more front-line guys, so that helps change the conversation. One thing I'll be interested to hear from BMAC on as the show you know, develops and matures, some of the stories he has about Patrick Sertan, these are contemporaries at the NFL level. These are contemporaries in college as well, but you know, Sertan had a, had a decorated career at the National Football League level. They did cross paths, uh, and apparently they have befriended each other. That's what Ira tells me. So to hear some of the backstories about how this particular position coach for Florida State came to be as a well-rounded NFL citizen, because he was coaching back in the NFL last year, as a high school coach who won state championships and has a son that's one of the best defensive backs in the league and went to Alabama. Who is that guy? How is he going to teach it? What did you see from his film when he was a player? I mean, this is a very important position at a very important time for Florida State. Moreover, you've got uh, Omarion Cooper, who apparently, by the coaching staff's designs uh, assessment, is doing good things as he starts out his career at safety. Well, BMAC played both. So you can hear the challenges and the nuances. You can hear about those details, about moving back and forth, and what those positions ask of you, even now in the modern game that is becoming more and more positionless. Uh, I'll be interested to hear all those things, and it's going to be a riveting watch. Sertan could hit, and uh, I remember his career at Southern Miss. Uh, and I remember his NFL career very well. Obviously, I was a big fan of his. And you're right, that will be fun to get insight, to glean insight as to the player he was and how did BMAC differ from him and really what he sees. I, I think it's such an important year for Adam Fuller. I've said that before. Um, Adam is a guy that I just personally speaking like. He's a, he's a nice guy to talk to. He's a uh, an intriguing guy. He's interesting. Uh, what makes him tick? He is football all the time. Loves football. I mean, has a passion for the game. And you want to see that out of your guys. Everybody's different. And sometimes, you know, we get this opportunity to talk to coaches and you can tell that that wouldn't be the coach that you hung out with off the field, that there's a guy that you just would, you know, you'd be, you'd work with him and he's professional and he's good at what he does, but your personalities don't mesh. Other times are guys you meet and you could tell you'd want to be around them all the time, that they're a lot like you or it's for whatever reason, you just jive well together. And I feel like he's that guy. Um, Adam is fun to talk to about football because he's so excited about football. He just he wants to talk about all facets of the game and the hard work that goes into it. And he brags on his players. And but the bottom line is. They weren't good on defense last year. That The numbers, I don't think, tell the story. And I, some of the numbers do. Some of the advanced metrics do. Um, when you adjust for the offenses that they faced, it does tell some of the story, which is not a good one. I need it to tell a good story this year. And Adam needs it to tell a good story this year because, again, I don't think we're going to be focused on the offense all that much. I think we're going to know the offense is going to put up points. We're going to be looking at this defense. And in the modern era, defenses don't get a ton of stops. They get 
they need to be able to hold people to 24 or below is kind of the way I look at it. If you're playing a good offense, yeah. the advantages are built in on offense. The game is called in such a way from an officiating standpoint that offenses have all the leverage, all the advantages, especially in college football. In college football, they just let offenses cheat. You basically can be three to five yards down the field as an offensive lineman on a pass play. They let them do it all the time. Now, in the NFL, they don't go for that nonsense. They throw the flag the second they see it. And that is the biggest difference between defensive football in the NFL and defensive football in college football in that you can't really – you can't key in on what the play is going to be based on the offensive lineman's movements the yeah. way you can in the NFL. And uh, it's a shame. But to my point, I don't, I don't look for shutouts anymore. I don't look for 14-point efforts in which the defense dominates the day and gives up a couple of cheapies in the fourth quarter. I just want to see a team that goes against a good offense and can hold them to 24 or less. Because if they do that, they'll win every game they play this year. Well, and I don't think that's a crazy statement. You know, they, no. they could and they should win every game this year. If you hold Clemson to 24 or fewer and LSU Correct. to 24 or fewer, you're going to win Correct. those football games. Yeah, Miami, Florida, Clemson, uh, LSU, all of them, 24 or less, you'll win the game. Uh, Miami, my God. Well, I, I, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt that they'll be better in year two. Maybe they'll hang the banner over the 35 at the IPF that they have there. <laughs> uh, they score more than 24 on, on defense this year. But to me, what, what excites me about this defense is I believe that they have a chance to win first down a hell of a lot more this year than they have in years past. Because not only do you have more frontline defensive interior players, and we know you got Jared Verse, so that's three-fourths of the equation right there. You have the position versatility, and they talked about it as early as February on the record when Adam Fuller spoke to you one-on-one -on -one here on the channel on WarChan TV. Hey, like and subscribe. He was talking about how they could go four defensive tackles across the board if they needed to in a certain matchup, that maybe they'll have a five defensive lineman look. What that tells me is that if they see an opponent that wants to establish a presence on the ground, they've got the weapons to deploy and counter that, put them in a second and nine and a second and eight. I think in general this year, with the ability to rotate in the interior, keep those guys fresh, which means that the lanes should be cleaner for the linebackers here. You've got a better chance to put teams in second and eight with a, and, and more with greater consistency. And if you can win first down, I know that Jared Verse and Patrick Pate could help us on third down, and you improve the secondary a little bit. You, you could see how it gets easier to put together the, the ingredients for a stop. Last year, especially the last two football games, the line of scrimmage was reset on this defensive line with consistency by Florida and by a lot of backups for Oklahoma. And that would happen on first down when the whole world knew it was coming. It's not like Oklahoma dropped back and threw the ball 40 times in that football game. Right. They were able to run it down our throat. But if they're in second or eight or more, our opponents, I know we're going to be okay on third down. It's just a matter of bridging that gap in between. I, I think they can win first down more. That's how I get excited about this group. The other thing to point out, and I think this is important because I thought last year there were times we did win on first down and we still were too predictable on third down. And if you slowed Jared Verse down or when he was playing hurt and you yep. didn't have anybody but Patrick Payton getting pressure on the quarterback, then you still saw a lot of third down conversions, third and behind the chain conversions, you know, third and six, third and seven type stuff. 
And the reason for that was we couldn't diversify our coverages. And you know as well as I do that, I mean, I'm a broken record on this. We can't play zone. We've yet to play zone with any effectiveness consistently. There are, there are, yes, you can go to a game and say, here, Jeff, we're in zone. We played well here. But it's few and far between, and we didn't consistently do it. And I, I just, the diversification of looks up front, the diversification of looks on the back end that we now can, we think, we hope, can execute really changes the game because quarterbacks were never confused. They were never right. confused against us. And, and we couldn't finish. That's the other thing that drove me nuts. And, and that was one of the great video breakdowns on the channel last year was D-Rob's breakdown of the Wake Forest film when he had the All-22. And he shows how in each quarter, you know, because Wake built up that lead and we got better as the game went along. But in each quarter, there are multiple examples of a defensive back being in position to make a play. And didn't make a play. Up and can't finish the GD play. And mm -hmm. it'd drive you nuts because it's like, well, I mean, I'm asking That's your you, grand reward. The hard part is getting there. And, I, you know, I'm putting I'm drawing the map for the kid. There's no GPS here. I'm drawing it on a map. Here's how you get to where you need to be. They're there. Now finish the freaking play. Yeah, I will say I feel better about that as well this year. And it's not just because they got a new defensive back coach. Greedy Vance in particular is somebody who improved an awful lot from the beginning of the season. And he had a, an awful whiff in the Wake Forest game. But between the beginning of the season and the end, Greedy was a different player, and he has been outstanding I think, yes, yes. in camp. He has yeah. been getting downhill, contacting in all the legal ways. Yeah. When he first got on campus, I thought, you're too slow. You're going to have to put your hands on guys. Well, he put his hands on everybody, on every play. And it was not the good kind of contact. Now he's got the ability to fire down on the ball. That I mean, we talked about this in the show last week, that Robert Scott missing camp that, that's important, and it doesn't guarantee that he's going to come back and, and be the left tackle for Florida State. Well, Kevin Knowles missing spring camp is a big deal, too, because it looks to me like Greedy Vance, if they want to play him at slot, has a really, really good chance to just lock that position down. And then well, you could build from there. Renardo Green was solid. Can you do better? Can he find a better home? Uh, we'll see. But he was solid. Now do Cypress, Ventrell Cypress. Let's see if he continues to get up to speed. He's been up and down to start his Florida State career, but it's his first spring camp in a new scheme. It's just I, I could start to put together the building blocks to finish plays. Those are the best secondaries in the country, in college, or in the pros. The guys who, when they get a chance to make a game-changing play, put their hands on the ball and they keep the ball, and you get it. We didn't have that last year. The, the lone exception to this, and I don't think it'll be better uh, or that much better, is when teams isolate our linebackers in coverage. And they did it all of last year. Uh, when they make our linebackers cover, it's not their forte. They're not great at it. Uh, and I don't think they will be this year either. But every defense has a weakness. And so, you know, I mean, they're not perfect. Also, if you're, but if you're in a position where it's third and obvious, like they would have to do that early, early in the downs. Yeah. If you're in a position where it's third and obvious, and let's say that you cultivate enough options in the secondary, specifically at safety, like you like the development of Amari Cooper, Travis J continues to be solid for you. I mean, Akeem Dent's on this roster. We haven't talked about him a whole lot. And then Shaheen Brown could be one of your stars in the, in the secondary in general. There's no rule that says that, you know, you got to have two linebackers out there on third and nine. Well, and they'll utilize the number game that you're talking about. They have a lot of bodies and athletes in the secondary, and I think they will utilize that to their advantage and, and play more defensive backs than, uh, than the normal defense that you look at across college football because it's an area of 
particularly this year, of strength, we think. And I'm not talking about domination. I'm just talking about the number of guys that can do it. So I think yeah. you're right. I, I, I think that you, there may be times where you only have Deloach out there or only have Tatum out there as your linebacker, and, and you have somebody else playing the role of a linebacker who's a safety. Yeah, my concern so far, we talked about it in the first hour briefly, you need to have more options in the middle of the offensive line on offense. It's a small concern. I think they're going to be okay otherwise. On defense, it's actually outside corner. Ventrell Cypress has to lock that down. I haven't seen anything yet. No. And again, it's very early. Yeah. But I haven't seen anything yet where I walk away from practice or walk out of practice and say, yep, that's the guy they wanted. That's locked down. Don't have to worry about him. It isn't that way yet. I feel better about slot corner than I do outside corner at this point. So there's some you know work that needs to be done. But if they could find some answers there, I feel a hell of a lot better about this defense. The baseline expectation, though, personally, I don't know about you, I feel like they're going to be improved just because the depth on that up front oh. would help facilitate the world for them that they didn't have last year. 100%. We are in total agreement. They're going to be a better defense this year than they were last. How much better? That's all we're asking. How much better can they be? We think that it all is fueled by the defensive front, the interior of this defensive line. I don't believe, if healthy, I don't think they're getting run on. When, when, when you talk about Farmer getting much better than he was a year ago, and now you got Tafasi in there, and obviously you brought in Daryl Jackson, who's a beast. And then you and you, you got to get the most out of Daryl Jackson, but it's a money year, right? He's got he's got to play well. And Fabo, healthy. I mean, come on. They ought to be really good up front. And if they are, you're right. You're going to have offenses behind the chains on the regular. Tomorrow is opening day. We're going to be at Corner Pocket Bar and Grill. Yay, opening day. Yay, Corner Pocket Bar and Grill, Appalachian Parkway. I love baseball. And you know I love baseball. Because I still watch it despite the fact that the Pirates have had, I think, a total. I was thinking about this earlier today. I think it's three winning seasons in the last, like, 40 years, 30 years. Oh. Yeah, we don't win a lot, Tom. I don't know if you noticed, the Pirates don't win a lot. They went to the playoffs, was that 2015, 2016, 2017, something like that? Three yeah. years in a row? Yeah, yeah. And then we haven't been anywhere close to the playoffs since. Um, it's brutal. I want to read something to you, Tom. Here it is. Here it is. It's just for fun and giggles, guys. And maybe you'll empathize with me as a Pirates fan. The Pittsburgh Pirates franchise has been around since 1882. They were the Pittsburgh Alleghenies back then, and they played in the American Association. In 141 seasons, they have only lost 100 games in a season three consecutive times once. Now think about that's pretty amazing, right? From 52 to 54, they lost 100 games in each of those seasons. It's the only time in that franchise's history that it's happened, and they've been playing since 1882. It could happen again this year because they went 61 and 101 in yeah. 2021. They went 62 and 100, improving by a full game, Tom, last year in 2022. And, you know, the COVID year, they were 19 and 41, I might note. Uh, I, I, 19 and 41 guys. <laughs> so there's a chance that they lose hundred games again this year and they'll match that dubious honor from 52 to 54. It's painful. It's painful guys. We, 
I was it was 2013 through 2015. I had it wrong. That's how long ago it was for the Pirates with those playoff appearances, buddy. I was in second heaven. The Knolls were winning national championships in 29 straight games, and the Pirates were in the playoffs, winners of 98 games. I didn't know it at the time, but my sports life could not get any better than that simultaneously. But here we sit on the verge of losing 100 games for the third straight year. So yeah. that, that's that's my fandom. So since and including 1993, I'm about to list off the 80-plus win seasons in Pittsburgh Pirates history. So, Oh, you, I, I, you ready? I'm going to see if I – in 92, uh, they went 82 – what? It's 93 to present, so 92 doesn't count. Oh, okay, so 2018. 2018 is an 82-win season. Yes, That's yes. One. Yeah, and then I went back and just told you 2013 through 2015, and I think we're done here. You are. That is four times since 1993 you have won 80 or more games. Not 90, 80 or more yeah. baseball games in a season. Yeah, that's how many times, guys? Four. <laughs> four times. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And so I had somebody get mad at me when I said that I hoped Robert Nutting died. And he's the owner of the Pirates, Bob Nutting. And I said something flippantly on the show last week, and a guy sent me an email. He was angry when I wished that he would incur a fiery death in a car crash. And I, I first of all, stop being a literalist. Of course, I don't root for the man to die in a fiery car crash. What I am saying is if he does, if he does, it's, you know, it's not the end of the world. I wouldn't spend a lot of time thinking about what a shame it was that Robert Nutting perished in a fiery car crash. And it's because we've won four games or four winning seasons since 1993. There are four. Baseball opening day, corner pocket bar and grill. <laughs> it's going to be a blast. Appalachian Parkway, we take on the Reds. I'm sure the Braves will be great. They'll be playing at 4 o'clock, I believe. Are they playing the Padres? Uh, that could be. Uh, all I know is that we got Sandy Alcantara uh, tomorrow. The Mets do so. F and A got. I say Alcantara. God dog it. I know. Uh, and it is four o'clock for the. Uh, no, I was wrong. The the Braves play at one o'clock against the Washington Nationals, and it's Max Fried and Patrick Corbin. Today's show is the last show without probables. Mm. Mm. That just makes me giddy. I just get excited. Yeah, your early window games include, yeah, it's Braves, Nats, as you said, Giants, Yankees. That's weird and cool. That's yep. weird and very cool. Orioles, Red Sox. All right, Ira, where there are you, you at, Ira? Yep. 210, that's a 2.10 p.m. first pitch. Brewers, Cubs at 2.20. Detroit, Tampa Bay at 3.10. So those are the first couple hours of opening day. It is a crime that we don't have an 11 o'clock first pitch in Cincinnati Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred have just decided to defecate on Cincinnati and its traditions on opening day. But short of fixing that issue, we do have some good matchups in the first couple of hours. That'll be fun. Yeah. The Pirates are throwing Mitch Keller. The uh, Reds are throwing Hunter Green. And I hope Hunter Green gives up 15 runs in the first. And I have a reason to smile at least once this year. It's on opening day. Jeff Cameron, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. What's up, guys? Our next partner that you're going to hear from is Athletic Greens. You've heard me talk about Athletic Greens in the past. Happy to talk about them again. I take Athletic Greens every day. 
And I gave them a try because certainly I wanted more energy, sustained energy. I wanted to support my immune system. I don't like taking pills and vitamins per se. And I wanted something that tasted good too. And the first time I tried it, I was very surprised. Uh, it had an appreciable effect on my energy levels. And also, uh, over time, you'll note that it, uh, it helps your skin, your hair, your nails. I don't have a lot of hair, but if I did, I bet I could feel that. I bet I could tell. It's a comprehensive health uh, habit, and uh, it is a, a powerful one at that. AG1 is great for recovery. Uh, that's Athletic Greens. And uh, I, I take mine basically when I wake up every morning. I don't have to worry about it because you get all the nutrients that you want. It's the best way to ensure that you're going to get all of your vitamins. It's a carbon-neutral business, by the way, if that's important to you. It is to a lot of people, and that's good to know as well. I would also note that uh, it is a comprehensive solution to what you need from a supplement routine. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs right now with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash JCS. Helps me out, guys, if you use that. Not financially, but it lets them know that you heard this ad on my show. And I do take it, and I am vouching for them because I enjoy their product. It's athleticgreens.com slash JCS. Check it out. I think you'll note the difference in your life with a simple drink each and every morning to start your day. Athleticgreens.com slash JCS. The Cameron Show is a production of the Warchant.com Multimedia Network. Check out Warchant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's Warchant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk 93.3. I do feel like in my lifetime, I'm getting to a point now where I should stop saying that. You know, Tony Gwynn died. He was only 54 years old. I'm 51. Hmm. I mean, you know, you think about those things. Miss Tony Gwynn. Um, but, like, I, 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 for years, would say, well, in my lifetime, they'll be good. They'll get it together. And they did. The Pirates won, as I said, 13 through 15. They were very good. Hosted playoff games. It was, it was fun. But, uh, you know, I shouldn't make these assumptions anymore. I have far less life left to be just throwing out there that uh, they'll be good in my lifetime. I'm running out of time, guys. Running out of time. I need the Pirates. I need Robert Nutting to sell the damn team. And I need him to sell it to Mark Cuban. Because Mark Cuban would do what your owner is doing. He would pour money into it. Yep. Yep. Well, they're changing the financial structure of MLB. I mean, God forbid that the Mets decide to go spend like crazy. The Angels can do it forever. The Dodgers, the Yankees, the earlier iteration of the Mets. But, whoa, $300 million. Let's try and force a salary cap on MLB. Get the hell out of here with that. Uh, well, I don't, I don't want a salary cap, but admittedly, your owner is crazy and is throwing insane numbers at baseball rosters that nobody's ever seen before. And I know it doesn't break your heart, and that's fine, but they do got to get a handle on this thing. What are we doing here? You got this clown over here throwing $500 million at a roster. It's crazy. Um, so what I would say <laughs> – what I you better win it all. You better win it all. It's ridiculous. I love it though. He says we spend the money to put ourselves in the best position, but you know, baseball doesn't always guarantee that. It's true. It's true. That is the right approach. Look, man, even if you got pocket rockets and hold them, when you when the community cards come out, yeah, you don't know. Not a ninety nine percent likelihood that you're going to win the hand just because you got pocket aces. You lose a lot of the time with aces. You got to fold a lot of the time with aces. So. 
Yeah. Just keep giving yourself the best chance, though. Well, the biggest problem you have is your pitching staff is Methuselah. So it's yeah. like, yeah, you got a bunch of 100-year-olds out there hoping to get through the season. Which Vegas is correctly, uh, you know, attuned to because the, the win projection for the year is 91 and a half, which is, is low when you look on paper in a vacuum. But when you consider that, yeah, the two top pitchers of the Mets roster average eight, or combined age is like 82, 83 years old. I think it's a smart, smart provision. Uh, the, the Pirates uh, win projections, just if you were wondering, everybody is uh, 68 games. Six, six. <laughs> By the way, if you want picks, I'm giving you one right now, everybody. Let's take Florida Atlantic plus two against San Diego State. Let's do that. Let's All do it. Right. You like that pick? Uh, I will take a look at my metrics that have done very well for me, and then I'll get back to you. But in theory, it sounds good. It does. I like it. I'm rooting for them to win the national championship. I think it would be great. They're not going to. UConn is. But it would be cool if they won the national championship. Uh, I would I would root for that, and it, I think basketball is going to be weird for the foreseeable future. Um, it, it's funny what's, what's kind of dissipating in basketball. Uh, it's not good for the sport. Some people would say that it is. I disagree. I don't think it's good for the sport. Um, you need villains. You need you know programs to hate like Duke. You need uh, perennial powers that we all aspire to supplant and overcome. And uh, I think year to year, it's going to be different. I mean, I just, we'll see. It's a little early in the game to say that, but I feel like uh, we're watching this all play out in a very weird fashion. Big 10 stinks every year when they get in there and they have all the money. Um, the ACC has fallen to pieces uh, to the point where Miami is the most consistent team this year. And, you know, we, we know what Miami is traditionally, a whole lot of nothing. Um, so there, you, you just look around. It's, it's nuts. We knew it was going to be a wild tournament this year. I know you think on the back end of losing all these super seniors and 35 year olds in the post, that things are going to get back to normal. I'm not so sure. Well, I, I think again, this is just about one and duns aren't as effective when you've got mid 20 year old players out there to counter them. And there just aren't going to be a whole lot of teams that have a bunch of super seniors, like not nearly as many as there are right now, uh, in two or three seasons. And then the one and done rosters again will be rewarded with a lot of Sweet 16, Elite Eight berths, and so forth. Like that, I think that's where it's going to go back to. But I, I think what's going to be different is the the name across the front of the jersey, because basketball is a hell of a lot more affordable than football when you're trying to put together a super roster of one and duns, the guys that the G League are not going to claim. And so, you know, I think for universities, I don't know about Florida Atlantic that you'll be able to do that. But the non-Blue Bloods of the world, you can buy yourself a really good crack at an Elite Eight or a Final Four. Look at Miami. They're doing it right now. That dude has unlimited resources, but it's a lot easier to field a basketball roster than it is an 85-man roster in football to put together a playoff competition or a playoff caliber uh, roster for that particular sport. It hurts college basketball that there are so many transfers. Uh, these teams are all made up of transfers, all of them. Um, and They're not organic in any way. And then from there, it hurts these teams. I think it hurts the sport. Like the level of play is poor because guys now can come straight out of high school and they have a professional location to land. You referenced the G League. The, the two best players that just came out of high school are in the G League, by the way. They didn't go play college football. They're two superstars. They're going to be lottery picks. And they're going to be, you know, they, these, are the, these are the stars. And they, they went and played professional basketball. So it's like, I just, I feel like the sport's been hurt uh, quite a bit. It's uh, 
it's just a different landscape in sports right now. Collegiate sports are uh, interesting. They're interesting. Um, it, it, some people say worse, uh, maybe so, but you know, uh, I, I do think the right thing is being done in a lot of ways, but they do yeah. have to get a handle on it. And I, I just, I hate that everybody's just a collection of transfers. I think we may be lamenting all of college sports a little bit more if our football program wasn't on, you know, the way. Oh, up. without question. Yeah. It just seems like it seems like and, and I don't feel like we're in the honeymoon period for Mike Norvell anymore because this is a year where results are going to do the most talking, not feel good. Not No, that month of September is critical. you got to win at least one of those football games. And then from there, you can't have slip ups. You can't have a Jacksonville State head scratcher what the hell is this or an nc state performance like we had last you can't have that anymore so i feel i don't feel like we're in the honeymoon period anymore but having said that it just feels like we have found at least at this point in the nil era of college football a wonderful middle ground between acquiring talent through nil means and the transfer portal and then also having kids that really want to come play for a head coach who is incredibly consistent and not a mercenary type, at least the way he presents himself to the public. Like it just it seems like if there is a harmonious area in this era of big time college football, expensive era of college football, we seem to be in one of the leaders in the clubhouse. Like we fired an open around 65 here. We look like we're positioned well for this weekend. He's an asset. Uh, and from the portal, uh, no doubt, because he is authentic. Uh, I said this yesterday. Mike's greatest strength is that it takes two seconds to watch him interact with players for you to decipher that he truly loves those kids and he loves what football is for those kids and he loves what it was for him. It affected the whole of his life to the point where he dedicated himself to the sport because of what it meant to him. It comes across when you watch him coach, and that is a huge asset to have. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to hold him to a very high standard and he's got to win a ton of games just because he's a good guy, loves football, and loves how it, it, it gives him a chance to help these kids. No, no, you, you got to win games. It's, it's not enough to be a good guy. That's wonderful. Uh, Bobby Bowden won a lot of games and was a really good guy, so I, I got you. But you, you got to do both. <laughs> but you are positioned. You're correct. You're positioned to get a lot of guys because it doesn't take long for them to see that that's genuine. Yeah, there was something, too, that Ira brought up. We, we did, like, an on-demand video instead of the Monday smash because of power issues on the east side of Tallahassee. Um, but I didn't realize this about the walk-on program at Florida State. And Ira has, you know, done extensive study about the machine, not just what's going on at a practice on a Thursday, which, you know, it's great work, too. But that the walk-on program... These kids here at Florida State are about as well taken care of as any walk-on program in the country to the point where they have an effective pitch for young men who might have an offer at the FCS level or the D2 or the D3 level that this is actually a, a less expensive place to go if you're going to leave the state because they take care of the meals. You know, you have lodging take care, taken care of. In terms of equipment, it's not – Whatever is left is what you get, and you're lucky to be here. Right. There's a first-class experience from the top down. And if you're taking care of walk-ons to such a place where they're going to choose Florida State over a full scholarly somewhere else, that to me is another great indicator of the health and the consistency of the message because it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that the message is reserved only for the best players. 
the message is from everybody from the top on down. I just love hearing nuggets like that about the health of the program because even the most basic details were forgotten in the last head coaching regime and yeah. the tail end of the previous head coaching regime. Oh, it was a, it was in shambles by the time Jimbo left across the board. And then obviously Willie didn't have his ducks in a row when he got here either. So uh, it is nice that we can say that about this program and to the point now where we don't really talk about it too much because all we're talking about is winning. All we're yeah. talking about is whether or not they're going to win enough games. Uh, you got to you, you got to continue to continue to build uh, uh, towards championship level play, and that's the standard they'll be judged by this year. You're right; it's it's not going to be because we, you know, when when we're good, when Jimbo had us rolling, or when Bobby was at the height of his powers, um, the, the criticisms were always that you you know you only played two teams that were capable of beating you. How, how did you do in those two games? Yeah. <laughs> right. It feels awful lot like that. I yeah. mean, I get, that September, I, I get earlier means that there's a greater variance for the result. I get that. Yeah. And, we, and in theory, there's going to be three, because if you handle business in the ACC outside of the Clemson game, chances are you're playing Clemson again. So there's three of these type games. You got to go two and one in that stretch. Uh, but here's a question. I think the answer to this is defined differently for everybody, but we like those kinds of questions. Is it going to be harder for Mike Norvell and this coaching staff to have a satisfactory on-field season in 2023 or a satisfactory 2024 recruiting class? I get that they're related to one another. If you have a good season on the field, it's going to help you get, get better recruits to say yes. But like For you, what do you think is the harder thing for them to accomplish? Because I think that's the final off-the-field hurdle for them to check, which is to really throw their weight around recruiting in the high school game, not, not in the portal. Oddly, I think it'll still be harder to do that. They haven't had the special season that 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 means recruits say yes before you ever offer them. Mm -hmm. they're, they're just so they, – they're desperate to come to Florida State the way they're desperate to go to Alabama, the way they're desperate to go to Georgia. Because those teams won national championships, plural, yeah. and it's a no-brainer that the, when they call you, if you're a stud, you want to go to one of those two places. Clemson won national championships – and, and they are able to do that as well. We haven't done that yet. We've had a good season. And they still don't have those special relationships in the state. They're building it. They're getting closer. Their, their latest hire should help them quite a bit. The winning season this past year should help them quite a bit. But I think, I think recruiting the high school ranks will be a bit more difficult still. I think they're going to win a lot of games this year. I think they're going to have a big season, and that will help. But, yeah, as of right now, I think it's going to be harder to have a top five class. Yeah, you want to uh, go back to elementary school. If there was a subject that like you struggled in and the teacher calls on you and you got to execute, you got to give the right answer. You do. And the teacher goes, correct. Okay. <laughs> All right. like, hear the surprise in their voice. We got to get that surprise out of the kids' voices when they come visit campus and go, you know, Florida State is actually uh, pretty good. I like yeah, what yeah. I'm doing here. Yeah. You got to get that out of their voices to where when they know that they're in the car on a plane on the way to Tallahassee. Yeah. They're going to be wowed. It's just a matter of, you know, are they the best of the elite three or four? We're not correct. Crazy. That's exactly where they got to get to. That's right. Jeff Cameron show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Come back, wrap it up. Just a moment. The Cameron Show is a production of the WarChant.com Multimedia Network. Check out WarChant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's WarChant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk 93.3.
Lori, that is opening day, the subject of this tub talk from our friends at Pinch a Penny as we wrap things up. Again, final day without probables at the back end of the show. So if you would, let's bubble it up, Tommy. It's time for Tub Talk, brought to you by Pinch a Penny Pools and Spas. Buy I would love to bubble it up, but apparently the button doesn't want to cooperate. So I'm going to say it's time for Tub Talk. Street. Now, I can it's hear it. live to the you top. You can hear it? Yeah, it's it's running, buddy. We can hear it. I can't hear it. That's incredible. Oh, you were talking over him. <laughs> the bubbles sounded great. They sound great right now. Oh, well, I, I'm, I'm the one who hit the button and it's not playing in my headset. I can hear it just fine, pal. Just fine. We're good to go. It's it's yeah. Hopefully our listeners heard it because I heard it clear as a bell. Huh. Um, do yourself a favor. Go look up on YouTube. Bill Murray. I've done this. Tom has seen the video, but I always like to watch it again. Bill Murray um, talking to the uh, Charleston um, minor league. Uh, I, I guess they were, he was being inducted into the minor league hall of fame for his ownership of that baseball team in Charleston, South Carolina that he has the minor league team. And for whatever reason, um, why was the Yankees GM there? I don't know, but he was there presenting for him. And uh, anyhow, so <laughs> bottom line is he gets up to talk and everybody thinks he's going to be funny and he's not. He chooses to tell a very touching story of the first opening day that he ever attended at Wrigley Field as a little kid and his big brother covering his eyes before they walked out on the concourse and then removing his hands and the greenest grass he had ever seen and the smells and sights and sounds of the ballpark. It's touching. It's very touching. Uh, It's also something that when we approach opening day, I think about for me as a little kid and remember as well, the first time I ever went to a professional baseball game with my father and I was a little kid. And oddly enough, uh, we went to see the Detroit Tigers play at Tiger Stadium, the old Tiger Stadium against the Chicago White Sox. And uh, I think I was seven, seven or eight years old. And um, he had an old army buddy that he served with uh, that lived in Detroit. And so we went to visit him. And he said, hey, we're going to go to a big league ballpark. You're going to get to see the Tigers. Because there was no team in the state of Florida, uh, as you recall, uh, in my youth. And um, and so that was the first time I ever went to a professional baseball game. And I remember being in awe of uh, – it was a night game – and uh, of seeing the lights and and then just the, the way that – if you can remember old Tiger Stadium. And we have no connection to Detroit other than my father's friend that was there, so I didn't care who won. But I just remember walking in and seeing that field and looking at the kind of the haze in the lights from the uh, from the grill with all the burgers and hot dogs and stuff. And just I, I freaking loved it. And um, I think about that all the time. I do. It's one of my uh, most impressionable moments as a child. And it's you know, they show every study says that you become a fan of a sport by either playing or attending that sport when you're a kid. So if you want a kid to love tennis, you take him to a tennis match or you teach him to play. Uh, if you want a kid to love baseball, and baseball's got to do a better job of this, get a, you know produce a product that people want to go see and bring their kids to because the kids will grow up baseball fans. And, and that is so true. Just being in a ballpark is a special feeling. It's not something that other sports replicate very well. Baseball does it better than most. I'll keep it brief. Mine was uh, Friday, July the 28th. I just looked it up. 2000 uh, was my first day at Shea Stadium. Al Leiter was starting for the Mets against the Cardinals. 
The Mets, Armando Benitez closed the game. The Mets won three to two. But with all, New York is better in the sense of seeing the green grass for what it is. Because all there is is concrete around right. you. So yeah. when you see green grass, like, oh, my God, that's glowing. And uh, I'll never forget that day because even from the loge level, which was the third, you could smell it. You could smell the clay of the dirt and you could smell yeah. the grass. And I'll never forget that. Yeah, there's nothing like it, man. Having a dog and a beer at the park is incredible. Uh, and and as a kid, uh, having a hot dog with your dad is incredible at a baseball game. Uh, I remember the first time I went to Three Rivers Stadium, which was a dump. I'm so glad that at least we have PNC Park. If we're going to lose 100 games, we're going to do it in a pretty setting. <laughs> uh, our thanks to uh, Bryant McFadden. Don't forget to send your suggestions for the name of the show. I enjoyed my conversation with him. We'll be talking tomorrow at 7 o'clock. Uh, I'll tell you about that. And tomorrow at 1 o'clock, we'll be at the Corner Pocket Bar and Grill for the Jeff Cameron Show. Looking forward to it. Hope you guys come out for opening day. Be well, everybody. Peace.